Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son and we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation. And said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. And I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers. Lest there be, be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that, no, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Father, I am prone to having an evil, unbelieving hearts when I face any kind of a trial or a temptation or a struggle in life and I lack trust in you. God, forgive us. Father, because you are worthy, I pray that this is a day for people in this room to repent from our lack of trust in you. We just saying you are worthy, you are holy. You're the creator of all things, sovereign over all. So we stand on that truth today that you are worthy of our trust. So, Father, I pray for, for transformation in hearts and in minds of your people who are prone to fall away. But we don't have to when we trust in you. Help us to share in Christ by holding firm to our confidence in the hope that is in Jesus. And in his name we pray, amen. Amen. Jesus is worthy. Amen. We were, we've been singing it, but you know something hit me different. Uh, actually, this service than any other service. When, when we sing that line, he is worthy of every breath we'll ever breathe. Do we believe that to be true? Now be careful. 
before you jump on the amen, that means that Christ would be our life. Not just something that we do, but he is our life from the moment that we wake up until the moment we, well, I guess we keep breathing at night too. It's all about him. He is worthy of everything that we do. There aren't any hidden areas in our life where we can just, you know, escape from the Lord if we really believe that he's worthy of every breath we'll ever breathe. Woo! And realize how bold a statement that really is. Because what we're going to do as we go through the book of Hebrews, we're going we're to learn more about how worthy Jesus is. Because we don't want this to be a blind faith. We don't want this to be something that you just, well, I heard something about Jesus and that I need to put my faith in him. But why do we have our faith in him? How do we know that Jesus is greater than any other thing in this world? How do we know? And that's what the book of Hebrews is all about. So if you remember, we started all, and I know y'all were like, math, y'all are scared of me. All right, but we're doing this mathematical proof of who Jesus is. Is And we find out that we know from verse 1, long ago and in many ways, God spoke through the prophets. So we know that God has spoken to us through the prophets. So the Old Testament are things that we can use in order in our proof, prove that Jesus is the Son of God. So throughout this 20 weeks, and we're on week 5, we're going to prove that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. He's better than anything. He's the perfect sacrifice He's the one and the only. And so we started out by doing this. The, well, the author started out, and we just were along for the ride. And this first proof statement is this, that Jesus is superior to the angels. And we talked about how Christ is superior to the angels, that he's superior because his name is a greater name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. And the second reason was the angels were created to worship Jesus, therefore Jesus is better. And then thirdly, we talked about Jesus came in the flesh. He came as a human. And we talked about Psalm 8 where, who am I that you're mindful of me? The son of man that you care for him. And how we're made for a little while lower than the angels, but we're going to be crowned with glory and honor. In 1 Corinthians 6, 3, talked about how we're eventually going to judge the angels. So Christ's humanness, Christ coming in the flesh, was a way of proving that he was greater than the angels. So we have so far proven that Jesus is the greatest thing in the spiritual realm. He's greater than anything that was created. Seraphim, cherubim, those weird living creatures with eyeballs all over them, Christ is better. And so now our author's turning to the earth. And we're going to go through this next proof statement, this next idea that Jesus is going to become our great high priest. He's going to be the, the mediator between us and God. And it starts off in this first chapter this way, that Jesus is greater than Moses. Now, for us, we were like, hmm, okay, Moses, good story. I saw the movie, Let My People Go. We, we talked about Exodus. That's good. But why would this author choose Moses to be the first thing that we're comparing Jesus to in the scripture. Well, in the Hebrews, for the Jewish people, there was no one greater than Moses. No one's greater. If you remember in Deuteronomy chapter 34, right, Moses has just died before going in the promised land, and Joshua is going to be the one to bring him in the promised land. And there's this description of Moses in Deuteronomy 34, describing that there will be no one greater than Moses, that does the signs and the wonders that he did 
in Egypt. No one will be greater than Moses. But then God came in the flesh. And so that's where we're going to pick up. How do we know that Jesus is greater? So chapter 3, verse 1. Let's start there. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in the heavenly calling, consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. Right now, who are we considering him against? Now, this word consider is pay close attention, fix your eyes upon him. That's what it means for us to consider. And today we're considering Jesus versus Moses. Now, we know in Deuteronomy 34 that Moses was the greatest of all leaders. He had helped them escape from Israel. Is that still true about the people in the first century? The people are in Jesus' time. Did they still believe that Moses was the pinnacle of human achievement? Well, let's look. Let's go to John chapter 9. Okay, go to John chapter 9 with me. I mean, in John chapter 8, this incredible thing has happened. Someone who has been blind from birth has now been healed, right? Jesus smeared the mud on his eyes. He washed it. Oh, he could see. And the Pharisees have called him in once already to go, um, what, how did this happen? He's explained it to them. But the second time he gets called in here in verse 24 in chapter 9, we see the, the blind men now who can see, the cursed. They even ask him a question. Who sinned, this man or his mother? Who, who sinned that he is so cursed to be blind? This lowly is now going to educate the Pharisees. L listen to this testimony. It's so good. So for the second time, they called the man in who had been blind, and he said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. Who is this man in the story? Jesus. The Pharisees are calling Jesus a sinner. Because they think he's violating the law of Moses. They think he's healing people on the Sabbath day. And they're, they're rejecting him. And he, the blind man, answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. Here's one thing I know. Jesus has changed me. This is my testimony. I don't know how you're going to argue that. I couldn't see, now I can see. Right? Jesus has done something in me. And so then he says this. And they said, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And the blind man, remember, they had such a low view of this man. And here he is. He's going to preach it right here. And he answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear again? Do you want to become his disciples? Now, we've read this before, and you're like, "Woo!" It just got hot up in here, right? It just got really spicy because he's like, you want to follow Jesus? And they don't. But notice what they said. Look at it with the Hebrew mindset on right here. And they reviled him, saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. They're disciples of Moses. Moses is the pinnacle of who they want to be. They're his disciples. And look what they say next. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, why? This is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. If anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Woo! Preach it. And then they kicked him out. Okay, so... 
right? Because they're like, what? We don't want to hear it. You're born in sin. Get out of here, right? And then Jesus comes and picks up the pieces, right, and tells them who he is, that he is the Christ. They believed in Moses so much that they couldn't see Jesus. In fact, Jesus tells it himself. Look back in John chapter 5. Jesus is having one of those conversations with the Pharisees. And remember, when you read these conversations, it's not just like he was talking to them. It's fired up, right? And look in verse 42. Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees again. He says, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. They've dedicated their life to following God. They're doing everything the law commands, but they've missed the lawgiver. They're so caught up in the legalism of the law that they miss Jesus. He says, here, look, it gets even more spicy as it goes on. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you'll receive him. Now, you don't receive me. Other people come, and you praise one another. Oh, how great. Look at all that you did for this. But you don't praise me. You don't worship me. You don't see that I'm from God. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek glory that comes from the one and only? If you seek glory from one another, instead of seeking to glorify him, and that preaches right there. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. They have set their hope on Moses. So this is why Jesus is going to be compared to Moses in this passage, because their hope is set on Moses. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? And so we see that Moses is this pinnacle. So we're going to put Jesus up against him and see who is worthy of more praise. Right? So let's keep going. So he says, consider Jesus. And then he says this, and it's a little interesting. The apostle and high priest of our confession. And you might be like, the apostle? He could just call Jesus the apostle? I thought the apostles were like the 12 disciples. And that's true. Well, Minus Judas and, and that whole story, right? And maybe put Paul in there. Um, but we have these apostles right now. But think about what is an apostle? An apostle is someone that God chooses to be his spokesman. Someone that God chooses to speak his words to the world. So it's this top-down office where an apostle speaks the words of God to the people. Did Jesus fulfill that? Yes, he was God. He didn't need an in-between to speak the gospel. And he calls him the high priest. What was the priest's job? The priest's job was to be the mediator between man and God, to create the sacrifices for forgiveness of sins so that man could interact with God. Was that what Jesus is going to fulfill? Yes. And we're going to dive into all the details of that. And this is what's so incredible about Jesus in the incarnation, that Jesus being fully God could now speak with authority to the people, but being fully man could now intercede for us to the Father. This is the beauty of Christ, all in one, being fully God and fully man. He's the perfect high priest. He's the perfect spokesman for who God is, living the life we couldn't live and being that example for us. This is the beauty of the scripture all summed up in this first verse. Verse 2, but he was faithful to him who appointed him, 
just as Moses was faithful in all of God's house. So here comes the comparison, all right? So Jesus was faithful and Moses was faithful. Now listen, when we compare, we have a tendency, well, I don't know, maybe you don't have a tendency. I have a tendency to talk smack, okay? I have a tendency to talk trash. The book of Hebrews is not going to do that, right? And it's just going to, it's going to raise Moses and go, Moses was great. I mean, he was a work in progress. It, it took a while. God had to kind of do a lot of work in him when you go through the book of Exodus. But, but Moses was great, but just, you know, Jesus is better. It's kind of like this. Like sometimes I sing on stage, right? Sometimes like last week it's like, Lord, oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Good try. A couple of y'all. Okay. Right. Sometimes I, sometimes I sing during a sermon because it's just like the Psalms. They come out. But so does Diana. Right? Diana sings on stage. But it's not close, is it? Like if we were to compare, why are you laughing? Sarah, why are you laughing so loud, right? Like if we're like, oh, I want to get Chris sings on stage and so does Diana. That means two different things, okay? Even though we're comparing them, one is much greater than the other one, right? One of them, they sing, and it's called a joyful noise to the Lord, right? One of them sings, and it's like, God is here, right? We just, when Jonathan's sick, he doesn't call me to sing worship. He just doesn't, okay? And that's okay. I'm fine with it. I love to worship. I'm right there. But you'll notice they have headphones in so they don't have to hear me, all right? Because I love to worship, but that's not what God's gifted me to do. It's okay. So when we have this comparison of Moses to Jesus, they're comparing them, but it's not close. All right? Moses is great and all, but he wasn't God who died for our sins. He wasn't the perfection that we want to follow. Let's not follow a man Let's follow Jesus. And it doesn't matter what man you choose. You could choose people. Uh, if you were to look up the most influential Christians in America today on Google, don't follow most of those guys. Because just because you're popular and just because you have lots of hits on YouTube doesn't mean you're preaching the word of God. So make sure that you're not following a person. You're following the person of Jesus Christ. And so this is what we're going to see here in this comparison is we're going to weigh these two things against each other and we're going to find Moses or any kind of man falls short of who Jesus is. So it says in verse 3, and this is kind of our, our theme verse, for he has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. So Jesus is worthy of more glory than Moses. As much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. So it gives us an analogy, right? Let's say that we have a house, and you're like, wow, that house is so beautiful. The builder of the house is worthy of more glory than the house itself. Sort of like the creator is worthy of more glory than the creation is what it's speaking about, right? Do you remember that story in Matthew chapter 7? Um, we think of it as a kid's story, but it's pretty tragic, right? Who builds a house upon the rock? And the one who builds his house upon the rock, and the winds come, and the floods come, and what happens to that house? Stays firm, right? But then there's the foolish man who builds it down in the wadi, builds it down in the floodplain, right on the sand. And when the floods come, what happens to the house? It wrecks. No one blames the house. In that story, do you blame the house for being built in the wadi? Or do you say, that man was foolish. Why would he build his house there? So the builder is worthy of more glory than the building, the creator more than the creation. Now we have to remember that. Moses was a creation of God. And when you went through Exodus, do you remember? There was an ongoing work of God, just as we're 
and ongoing work of God as we go through. So the building is worthy of less honor than the builder. Now, Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken of later. So Moses was great. He was an amazing servant in God's house. But Jesus is the son and Moses is the servant. Now, something interesting is happening here that we need to make sure we kind of keep our mind wrapped around. There's this idea of what's called a type, okay, a, a type. Now, a type is some, a person, a place, or an event which foreshadows Christ or the work of Christ in the world. And so through the Old Testament, we see all sorts of types descriptions of God and, and the things that Jesus was going to be and the things that Jesus was going to do, we see pictures of that foreshadowing Christ so that when Christ came, they should be able to recognize it. So that, for example, when Jesus comes and says, I'm the bread of life, they should think, oh, remember Moses and manna came out of heaven? Just like that, he is the now bread of life. Or remember when Moses hit the rock and water came out? But John chapter 4 says, but I'm the living water which wells up inside of you, right? Just as Moses brought them commandments from God, Jesus gives us the greatest commandments. He sums up the law into loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. John 13, 34 says, this commandment I give to you, love one another. That the things that Moses did were supposed to be like, another one is going to come like me who's going to do even greater things than me. That foreshadowing is what Moses was all about. Now, we get this word type from Romans chapter 5. Right? In Romans chapter 5, we see that Adam, the first man, was a type of Christ. Okay, let's look what it says in, in Acts chapter 5. Right? We're starting in verse 12. It says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all have sinned. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who were sinning, even though those were sinning not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. So we see the description that Adam was a type. Adam, born without a sin nature, born with one rule, don't eat of that fruit, and Adam fell, brought death into the world. But then came Jesus, who was tempted in every way we were, but without sin. And though Adam brought death, Jesus brought life. And he's called the second Adam the one to truly set us free. And so we see this typology all the way there. Do you remember the tabernacle? Do you remember how crazy the, ta the tabernacle just screams Jesus? Every piece of furniture, the designs, the numbers, the curtains, the mercy seat, the gold covering, the acacia wood, everything about it just screams Jesus. That's what the Old Testament does. And that's why Hebrews is so cool, because we're using the Old Testament to prove how amazing Jesus is. And so we see that example here because it says in verse 6, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. The son is greater. Remember chapter 1, he's the son who is the heir 
of all things. He is the creator of all things who upholds them by the power of his word. So we see these things being woven in this description of Jesus. Um, it says, but we are his house. Did you realize that? You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. God living inside of you that when people see your house, they should praise the builder. That we're now called to be a type, to go out and be that foreshadowing of Christ to the people that we come into contact with. It says, as long as we hold fast to our confidence and our boasting and our hope. And at this point, he said, look, I've shown you that Jesus is better. In this short little few verses, I've shown you better, but beware. So in this next section, he's going to warn the Hebrew people, because remember, all of their hope, their house has been built on the foundation of Moses, and it just got wrecked. And so he's going to warn them, be careful, don't harden your heart. Be careful. If you've built part of your life on something that's not Jesus, don't be surprised if it falls apart. Don't be surprised if the, the back corner of your house isn't steady because you built that on your talent. You built that on your bank account. You built that on your abilities or the ability of someone else, and it's not built on Christ. Don't be surprised if it begins to crumble and fall apart. And so their life is getting pulled apart because they've trusted in Moses. They were Moses' disciple, and now they're going to have to look at their own heart. So here's the warning that the author is going to give to them. This next section is warning us not to harden our heart. Look where he goes. Verse 7 says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today... If you hear his voice, by the way, did you notice he's going to quote out of Psalm 95, but he's saying the Holy Spirit said it. So even the Old Testament was inspired. All scriptures God breathed, right? So today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I provoked that generation and said they always go astray in their hearts they have not known my ways. And as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Now, this is a quote out of Psalm 95, right? Turn back with me into Psalm 95. Because I want you to get the context of this quote, right? We know that this story is going to be recounting something that happened back in Exodus 17. But notice the praise and notice the, the amazing attitude of this psalm. Before it warns us, O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry ground. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our God, our maker. That's a good song. Sorry. Where's Diana? I need her to sing that part next. Okay. For, look at this verse. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in Meribah. On the day at Massa, when in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, Though they had seen my work, for 40 years I loathed that generation and said, There are people who go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. Therefore I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter 
my rest. And this was the time at Mount Horeb in Exodus 17 where they began to, to rail and quarrel with Moses and Aaron. So much so that they were going to take them outside the camp and they were going to stone them to death and they were going to leave and go back to Egypt. And God says, hey, take the staff and I'm going to go before you to this rock and I'm going to, you strike the rock and water will flow out of the rock and I'll provide for the people. But because they kept testing him 10 times, they tested him 10 times. They talked about going back into the slavery of Egypt because they kept turning back. He made them wander in the desert. And it made me think, do we test God? I mean, we don't fall, well, sometimes we fall short on water, I guess, but how do we test God? Have you ever done like, Lord, if you want me to do this, like, let a cardinal fly in front of me right now. Or that, I think that butterfly is looking at me. That must mean God wants me to go this way, right? And we follow the butterfly, you know, as butterflies fly. We, we have these, or that song lyric comes out. Now, God speaks to us in many different ways. I don't want to discount that, but how many times do we seek a sign? But listen, if we're seeking a sign, you know what that's saying? That we don't trust God. You know what else it says? That we're scared of being vulnerable. Because we're scared of falling on our face in front of everybody. What are they going to think about me? You feel a calling on your life to, to do something that God's told you, but you won't do it because you're like, but it might not work. Did God call you to it? Yes. He's, he's going to be with you in it. Yeah but, yeah, but I can't. And we're scared to take those steps because, but what if I fail? Okay. What if you fail? God's probably going to teach you something through that process. We're scared. You know, this weekend I had a chance to go um, to Louisiana with Chad, and we spoke at a men's conference and had a chance to do an, an activity. It's called the Words That Hurt, right? And so we had a board sort of like this in the background, and we invited this group of men that um, if there's words that have been spoken over you that have hurt you, has that ever happened to you? Words that people have spoken over you that have hurt you, I want you to come up. I want to write them on this board, Right? And the goal was for us to be able to talk about those things that have been implanted in us that have hurt us and how we can set those aside at the foot of the cross and let God define us. We had maybe three people come up out of the group because they were scared. They were scared to write on the board. People called me fat. People said, you're just like your dad. That's not a compliment for me, by the way. Right? People have said, you'll never account to anything. But you know what happens when we have youth do this activity? If I were to call our youth group on, on Wednesday night to do that activity, this whole board would be filled. Because they're willing. So many things of hate are being poured in their life. You're worthless. You'll never count an enemy. Your generation is trash. You don't pay attention to anything. I can't believe. I wish you had never been born. I should have aborted you. I should. And these things are spoken over the youth that are in our group. I hope you never come home. And those things penetrate the heart. But in Christ, we're a new creation. Listen, the one who designed you gets to define you. So if God designed you, he also gets to speak the truth about you. Remember, you've been, you've been bought with a price. You have value in him. You are worth something. He's given you a purpose. All those things we talked about before, do we believe it? If we really believe it, we're not scared to step out in faith because God is with us. And if he is for us, who can be against us? But do we really trust it or do we harden our heart? Let me give you an example. Like, look at the next verse. All right, he says this, 
take care, brothers. And that, that's kind of an echo of chapter 2, verse 1, where it said, pay close attention so that you don't drift away. Here's some of the same idea. Lest there be in any of you with an, un, an evil and unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. So, so what is that? What is those evil things? So my wife's doing a path group going through the Bible recap. And just this week, we were talking about Proverbs 6 together um, when we are at home. And let's go back to it because God gives us a list of some things that he despises, right? Look what he says here in verse 16 of chapter 6. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Let's not have this list in our heart, right? He's pretty much saying this is evil, God hates these sins. Haughty eyes. Do you look down on other people? Do you think they're worth less than you? Or do you see them as the image of God? They're different than you? It doesn't matter. They're in the image of God. They hold God in their hand. They're of value. You realize you've never met a normal person. Every person in this room is a unique creation of God. And every one of us have worth because of that. He says this, a lying tongue, whoo, that hurts. Right, now, I know, it just, he's just talking about the big lies, right? Not like the little lies where I'm just like deceiving to make myself look a little better. He's not talking about those. You know, he's not talking about those like little things that I'm going to be late and so I just kind of make up a story. He's not talking about those, right? Or maybe he is. Why do we lie? Because we want to make ourselves look better. We want to protect ourselves instead of just choosing honesty. The Lord hates lying lips. He hates a lying tongue. The hands that shed innocent blood, do we run to violence? Do we hurt the weak and the hurting? A heart that devises wicked plans, do you scheme for the bad of those who hurt you? When someone wounds you, do you figure out a way to get them back? Or do you let that be flushed out with the grace that God's given you? Forgiving others. Right? Feet that make haste to run to evil. I don't know why, but I think of school. Right? I used to teach at, at Hayes High School, and my room was A104, which is right by the door uh, in, the, in the A building. And for some reason, that became like a popular place for fights. Right? And so I would be standing out in the hallway, right? and I would all of a sudden hear pitter-patter feet. Right? Like, no one's running to get to their you know, calculus class. They're running for some reason, right? And so I would follow it, and there's two guys, you know, chesting up to one another, and here I come, just ramming into the middle. And now if it's a girl fight, I would kind of slowly. Those are dangerous, all right? I'm just telling you, they're dangerous, okay? Just being honest, okay? But it was a guy fight. I'm just like charging in there, getting in the way, trying to break it up. But man, you knew people started running. They weren't running to break up the fight, they weren't running to protect people. They were running to get a view of the violence. And we have a culture that runs to the violence. You don't believe me? Uh, go, let's go to Netflix and look at the top 10 movies in America. Let's go look at these things that, that get the most at the box office and what those things are. How many times are they glorifying people running into evil? And the Lord hates that. A false witness that breathes out lies. Lies again? Ah, hurt. And one who sows discord among the brothers. Ooh, you want to see Coach Smith come out. Sow discord among the brothers. Try to divide our church from the inside. 
That's not from the Lord. He doesn't want us to be divided. He wants us to be in unity together. And Hebrews 3, it gives us two ways that we need to do it. And I know we need to close up quick, but look at these ways. Here's verse 13. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And here's the number one way. If you want to have a heart that is soft, allow people to speak into your life. Exhortation, um, the biblical definition of this word is urging someone along as you're beside them. So imagine a runner that's struggling, you're beside them. Come on, you can do it, and you're running alongside them. This is exhortation, being willing to be urged on or called out or spurred on in the faith. Do you want that in your Christian walk? Again, be careful. Felt like a pastor trick question, didn't it? Because let's be honest, if tonight about 9 o'clock I come knocking on your door and like, hey, I need to have a conversation about your drinking. I noticed you at that party the other day and you drank too much and you're, you're not sober-minded. And when you're not sober-minded, you hurt the people that are around you. You need to stop. Or, hey, I saw the way you treated your spouse. That's not okay. Like, God wants us to love and respect him. Um, Ephesians 5.22 says that we need to be loving one another. You need to speak kindly to your wife. You need to be gentle with her wife. You need to res- be respectful and, and be kind in the way you speak to your husband. Are you excited about that call? If I actually have to bring something to your house tonight, I mean, like, lights shut off, ring doorbell, no one's home, right? Because we just... I mean, we want to be better, but do you really want to be better? Because listen, if you have a hardened heart, you remember that parable of the seed and the sower? What happened to the seed that was on the path? It was snatched away by the devil. If you have a hardened heart, if you have areas in your life that you're unwilling to submit to God, the word, you won't let the word penetrate it. Because the word's going to tell you that you need to sacrifice for the people around you. Think of others more than you think of yourself. If you think of others, you don't have to lie to protect yourself. You're fine. I know who I am in Christ. I could tell you all kinds of things about myself that I've messed up. Why? Because I'm secure in my relationship with the Lord. we got to be secure. Do you have truth tellers that speak in your life? Do you have people that you can say, Johnny, I need to talk to you about this. And that person will tell you when you're wrong. Do you have people in your life that tell you when you're wrong? If you don't, man, you need to find some because you might be driving towards a cliff and they're too scared to tell you that you're going the wrong way and they're going to go down with you. That's not who we want to be in Christ. We want to be moldable. We want to be good soil because what happens when the word goes into that good soil? Produces fruit. And we need to produce fruit in order to have endurance. That's what he tells us next in verse 14. For I have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold to our original confidence firm to the end. That we have to hold firm. We have to have this endurance in the Lord. Because the walk with Christ can be challenging, can't it? Because there's going to be times that when we look and compare ourselves to Christ, we're going to fall short. But that's meant to spur us on, to urge us on because Christ is right by our side, spurring us on to be more like his son Jesus. So I want to encourage you this week. We know that Jesus is greater than Moses. Let's make sure our hearts are ready to put Jesus in his proper place. Let's be ready to worship and count him as worthy. All right, let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this time in your word, Lord. I I am convicted by your challenge at the end, Lord. Do we have in our life truth tellers, people that will tell us when we're wrong, 
people that will challenge us, Lord, when we're not acting like your son Jesus. I pray for each one of us in this room, Lord, that we'll find those truth tellers, surround ourselves with those that will correct us and encourage us to be more like your son Jesus. Make us moldable, make us good soil to produce fruit. Lord, I thank you for um, your word and just how beautiful it is. Help us this week to be in it and to study it and to, to just devour it this week. In your name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Chris. I have a few announcements as you make your way out. Next Saturday, if you are a widow or a widower or you have a family member who maybe does not regularly attend here uh, but is a widow or a widower, we'd love to love on them and, and, and just spend some time with them. So next Saturday at 10 a.m., we're going to have board games. We're just going to hang out and fellowship play some games here. So please invite them or you yourselves. If you're a widow or widower, we want to see you come. Also, save the date, March 3rd and 4th. We're going to have a marriage night conference. Uh, so that'll be a Friday and Saturday. So save the date. We'd love for you to come and be a part of that to pour into your marriage and learn more about Jesus. And then don't forget that Rudy is out there so that y'all can look at the missions that are going on want to say thank you so much for those of you who were able to make it out yesterday to clean up the property. It looks fantastic. So thank you for, for the work you did on taking care of the Lord's property. So as you make your way out, Psalm 96.3 says that we're to declare God's glory to the nations and his marvelous works to the peoples. So go in that spirit. God bless you.